Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We thank you from our hearts that have been stirred, that have been opened to hear your truth. Beginning at the point of our salvation as we believe the good news concerning your wonderful grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then continuing on, Father, continuing to open our hearts so often, remove the clouds of blindness that are still there regarding uh, your word and its proper understanding and interpretation and application to our lives today. We thank you for its great power. That grace does have power and it is working in and through us. We're so thankful for that, Father. And apart from your great work and the Holy Spirit's actions, we know where we would be. We'd still be in the darkness, either blinded entirely or still confused regarding uh, what you are doing today under grace. So, Father, I thank you for uh, delivering us from those clouds of darkness and bringing into their place in our hearts a great confidence, a great hope that is enduring and eternal and can never be stolen away from us. Father, I pray that we always be thankful for the day because you're the one who is administering it on our behalf. Thank you that we uh, have an expectation that you will continue to do that and that you'll carry us all the way through to the end point, which will be our calling into your very presence. So, Father, we're, we're so much focused on that in these days as the world seems to be turning increasingly in a visible way, at least, uh, against you it has always been <laughs> satan's uh, playground but father that uh, it is so visibly turning against you and against your word and our precious savior even in our own land here we see so little outreach for the truth in our day we hear the lies everywhere father i pray that you'd protect our family and our dear ones from these lies I pray for boldness to speak out as you give us opportunity, because we are the lights, and may we never forget that. And uh, we do possess the precious word of life, and may we be bold to share it to those you bring into our small circle. So, Father, thank you so much for all those that are here today with us. We are very thankful for so many blessings, for safety, for this peace we still enjoy. May that be preserved in this nation, Father. If not, may we be still confident in you and never faltering in our uh, in our faith and our assurance, Father, that you are always with us and you will never leave us and your love can never be withdrawn. Father, I pray for believers all over the world and some we are hearing about now uh, in ways that break our hearts, that they are 
either hiding or uh, have been found out uh, by these evil ones in Afghanistan who've taken control and now some have been martyred. It breaks our hearts, Father, to hear how they've been, they've been treated, the Christians especially, not only uh, our citizens and those that have supported our efforts here in Afghanistan, but also uh, Christians uh, in general, Father, uh, and uh, how their families are being treated and their daughters stolen away and others uh, murdered, Father. What a, what a loss, what an incredible loss. And how can we forget this, Father? Please help us. Father, I pray that we would nevertheless, through all of this, have a great boldness for you. Help us now as we open your word and uh, share it together. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes I've said at the very beginning uh, something I've repeated a lot, which is that leading in our study, of course, I'm challenged to open the word uh, more than for just a few moments, since I really have to compare a scripture with scripture, I always like to approach the scripture as if it were the very first time that I had read these words and uh, received the blessings from them before I share them with you. And it has been a great blessing for me to be studying in the book of Acts. I would have to say to you, a much greater blessing than I've ever had in uh, teaching the book of Acts. And that's been a number of times. We've looked at the book of Acts often, even if we didn't go carefully through it. But this time, especially, it's been a great, great, great blessing to me in ways that I have never really seen before. So I hope that that's been true for you, too, as we've gone through the book here. Rather quickly, just picking out certain things, not verse by verse necessarily, but uh, looking for the high points. And uh, now as we've gotten closer to the end of the book, uh, going more carefully through it. But certainly what we have read regarding uh, these chapters in the book of Acts that record, written apparently, everyone agrees, by Luke. But when we read the sacred preserved history of Paul's missionary journeys and then how it goes for him as he finally reaches Rome, we, we see how the great transition period ends, right? The great transition was, as I've said so many times here, it was a, a time when God was supplanting one kind of rule for another. Grace was being administered the whole time. But uh, as long as God is still reaching out to his people Israel, the Jews, and sending Paul there to the Jew first, there's certain uh, limitations on how much grace can be shared since there are so many Jews either who've already believed 
under the previous Pentecostal program that may want to just give up that hope, that earthly hope, and come into the uh, heavenly hope that Paul is preaching. So we've got those. We also have many Jews who are unsaved, who are living under Moses' law, believing that that's still the rule that applies. So Paul has to deal with these circumstances everywhere he goes. And that affects and, and, and determines much of what he says. God's still working things out for the sake of the Jews as well. He's even, even giving miraculous gifts uh, in abundance, right? And uh, the whole purpose of this ultimately is to make the Jews jealous. We've seen that as we've looked uh, in those scriptures uh, the last uh, six months or so, quite a lot. So that's all going on here in this transition period. So there's the glorious sweep of God's abundant grace, though, being clearly manifested. And Paul finally gets to Rome. We'll look at that today. It's a great turning point in Paul's ministry, indeed, and it uh, should be the foundation when we understand it properly of a turning point in our thinking too. So that's where we are. Uh, let me give you the outline for today. First of all, there's a preparation for the conclusion of the book of Acts. So there's a preparation and that involves Paul traveling to Rome in chains. <laughs> Paul's traveling to Roman chains, and that's going to enable a preparation and a completion for the history in the book of Acts. Because remember, Christ said, you will go to Rome, and you will testify for kings and the people and uh, even the Gentiles. Okay, so the preparation. For the conclusion, secondly, the final judgment is defined as Paul gives his final words concerning the Jews. Final judgment is defined as Paul gives his final words concerning the Jews. And then the last point, the final judgment is delivered and the great transition period ends. That doesn't mean grace ends, grace abounds right but the transition period when israel is still a primary focus of paul's ministry that period ends once and for all at the end of the book of acts record some people have thought that the book of acts doesn't have a proper ending it seems just to drop it all with paul for two years free in Rome and living in a rented house and teaching everyone who come to him. And quite clearly, they were mainly Gentiles. Um, it's like that just sort of drops off and there's no proper conclusion to the book of Acts. You'd think there would be since it's such a long book and it's in such great detail that Luke records everything. And why does he leave it like that? He doesn't even say anything further about what Paul's future ministry will be. It's just left, right? 
Why would be a great question. <laughs> and I think we're answering it day by day as we continue to see how the transition period developed and now we'll see how it ends. Because the book of Acts is the history of how God worked first after Christ's resurrection with the Pentecostal dispensational period and then how that was ended and a great transition began as Saul was raised up and goes off in missionary journeys, right? The great transition then consumes the majority of the book of Acts. Most of the chapters are about that, right? So it's the transition from God's focus on Israel to God's focus on the Gentiles. It's the transition from law to grace. It's a transition from a, uh, a period of great signs and wonders to a period of the manifestation of the fullness of the grace of God, independently of an outreach to Israel, right? Everyone included, whether Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free, makes no difference. Same message for all, right? Sinners needing salvation. Great sinners require a great salvation, and that's what Paul preached, right? Greatest of all. God's riches at Christ's expense. So that's our outline for today, and I'll make some concluding thoughts, which I will call the great controversy continues today. How about that? The Jews were confused when Paul finishes his ministry there to them in Rome. They had great disputation. They were arguing amongst themselves because they didn't understand what Paul meant when he cast them aside, quoting from the great prophet Isaiah. They were perplexed. They thought they were in the center of God's plan and always would be. They were wrong. They would not always be, and they are not today. The great controversy continues this, this day, however, as many are arguing and disputing about the place of Israel today, are they not, even amongst believers. Okay, so um, let's get moving on this. It might be a long lesson. Okay, <clears throat> there's much in the notes. I'll be skipping quite a bit of that. You can go to the notes though and fill in the rest of the details. First of all, the preparation for the Acts conclusion. Paul travels to Rome in chains. <laughs> oh, Gail, you have the privilege of reading in Acts chapter 27, verses 21 through 26. Thank you. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, but not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, 
and there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. <laughs> Thank you, Gail. <clears throat> well, we skipped all those verses that led up to this, how Paul is bound to a uh, Roman centurion. Remember, he's appealed to Caesar. The uh, Augustinian law that uh, granted privileges to citizens wherever they lived within the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Um, that they could appeal to Caesar and be governed by the rules and laws laid down by Emperor Augustus many years before, right? And Paul had appealed to Rome, right, and to Caesar, and therefore he is now being taken off on a ship. <laughs> what nobody could have planned for is that the ship would sink along the way, <clears throat> caught in a big storm. And nevertheless, Christ appeared to Paul directly and spoke to him and gave him word concerning how everyone on the ship would be saved. No one would perish if they remained on the ship until Paul said, depart, okay? <clears throat> and uh, that the ship would would run aground, in fact, <clears throat> near a certain island, and uh, they would all be uh, able to be delivered either by swimming or by uh, <clears throat> jumping onto pieces of wood from the ship and floating to shore. And all of them were saved. Okay. <laughs> That's an amazing, <clears throat> amazing thing. Uh, Paul hasn't yet reached Rome, of course, and uh, that was the intention. So I'll read a few more verses, beginning in uh, verse 42. It was the soldiers' counsel to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they would could but swim and cast themselves into the sea to get to land and the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land well <clears throat> another ship was found uh, some time later they were on the island there for a while some great miracles were performed there by the apostle and on behalf of the apostle. He was bitten by a poisonous snake, but survived because of the good care of the Lord, right? Uh, and uh, so they boarded another ship from Alexandria that took them to Italy. And we'll take up there in the next chapter, chapter 28. Lydia, I'd like you to read about that, about how it was when Paul reached 
Rome, Lydia, verses uh, 16 through 18, chapter 28, please. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prison prisoners to the captain of the guard, but but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of Jews together. So when they had, had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined examined me, wanted wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. Okay, thank you, Lydia. Very good. <clears throat> so that's what it was like. Paul arrives in Rome and he's free, but he's bound, <laughs> you know, to a to a Roman centurion. Uh, shows you how significant Paul was. Uh, they wanted to preserve his life, and Rome knew there were many enemies, and they were preserving the peace, definitely, if they could preserve uh, Paul's life. This was all part of what was called Pax Romana, right? <clears throat> the peace of Rome. Okay, um, so if we would then continue with our readings, Linda, would you... Uh, Read on, uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 19 through 24. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. But for this cause, therefore, have I called for you to, to see you and to speak with you, because for the, that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, we neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoke against. And when they had appointed him a day, they came unto him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the law of prophets, from morning till evening, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Okay. Thank you, Linda. Some believed, and some believed not. Okay. There's a key verse there. It's verse number 20. And the reason we went back today, instead of going on to chapter 20, uh, Eight and the conclusion immediately was that uh, there's this verse 20 uh, back uh, there that uh, in chapter 28, verse 20, that says that it was because of the hope of Israel that he was bound with the chain. Now that seems rather out of place, doesn't it? How could Paul say, for the hope of Israel, he's bound with a chain. Hmm. Well, let's find out about that. Because it's really important to understand the words that are set before us here today. 
Last time we actually saw the answer to that question, <laughs> we dealt with it specifically back in chapter 26, because in chapter 26, Paul used the same words, the hope of Israel. Okay, and we uh, we spoke to that as to what the hope of Israel was. All right. And Paul says it's because of the hope of Israel that he's bound in a chain. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so what's this all about? Well, remember, remember back at the beginning of Saul's walk with the Lord, remember he was intercepted uh, on the road to Damascus, directly intersected with, this was the risen and ascended Christ, who said to him, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, records these words, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So it is necessary for the Apostle Paul to speak to these different groups, kings, Gentiles, and the children of Israel, right? Well, there are children of Israel in Rome, and uh, significantly, Rome is kind of the uh, far point there in the book of Acts, uh, beginning in Jerusalem, going all the way there, right, to the capital city of this great world empire, right, where there are Jews. And here they've been called in Acts chapter 28 to speak with Paul. Interesting, huh? So he's there fulfilling the purpose uh, revealed way back there in Acts chapter 9, the beginning of his uh, salvation experience, right? Okay, so he's going to talk about that now at great length, often, of course, everywhere he goes, right? Uh, but in Acts chapter 26, he's focused specifically on, as we saw last time, on what? On the resurrection of Jesus, of Nazareth, of Jesus Christ, right? The resurrection, right? Christ, yes, he was crucified. And all the Jews, if they knew anything, knew that, right? What they had not done as Jews, for the most part, was to believe on him as their Messiah and Savior, right? They had not. They'd rejected him. And so what was more important but to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Apart from that, there's no hope. And in fact, what Paul has taught often, and what he teaches in chapter 26, uh, is that according to the Jewish scriptures, and you could go back to the beginning, you could go back to Genesis, Exodus, you could go to David, you could go to the prophets, right? Wherever you went, you would see pointers forward to who? To the coming anointed one, the coming Messiah, right? Pointers to that. And there was another aspect to this that we'll get to in a moment that made the focus necessary on his resurrection, okay? But what we saw in chapter 26 was that uh, the Lord spoke directly to, 
to Saul back there on the road to Damascus, right? And some of the other words that were used were recorded here in Acts 26. Paul says, who art thou, Lord? See, that's his response to the first words that Christ spoke to him, which was, which were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he says, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Okay. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I've appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, namely the risen Christ speaking from heaven, right? What he has seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto you. So that's the future appearances of the Lord and what he would share with Paul then as he continues. And I believe it happened a number of times where he continued to teach Paul heavenly things, which he then could share with the brethren in his preaching, teaching, and in his letters, right, which we have before us. And then he says that he's going to deliver him and from the people, people, that's the Jews. He must be delivered from them because they want to kill him, right? At least their leaders do. And from the Gentiles, unto whom he says, I now send thee. Okay, so the commission was clear. And then he says what the purpose of the commission was in verse 18 of chapter 26. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Well, Jews already had a promised inheritance um, as the nation, right? If they should endure <laughs> to that point or be in the book of life when they're resurrected, right? They already had an inheritance. But what Paul is saying here begins to open up the uh, the veil to understanding what the completed work of Christ has accomplished, which the Jews knew nothing about, right? Uh, and uh, so there's the opportunity for a Jew to receive more than a piece of land and blessing in that land and the promises of the kingdom, right? This is to receive eternal forgiveness of sins and a special inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Okay, so so these Jews, Paul has gathered here, and those that were listening way back there in chapter 26, when he is uh, testifying before them, right? Uh, they have opportunity to receive Jesus as their Messiah. If they will not do that, they cannot be saved. Well, for them to do that requires that they believe in his resurrection, okay? Because he has been crucified, right? The message amongst the Jews is that the disciples stole away the body. He wasn't raised from the dead as he said he would be. He's still in the grave, right? But no. They are asked to open their eyes, to turn in repentance. Repentance for what? For killing 
their Messiah, right? Okay, so this is a, a wonderful message Paul shares with them. And going on um, quickly, Paul puts even more of a focus on the resurrection in verses 22 and 23, where he says, having therefore obtained help of God, help because the Jews wanted to kill him, but he's been preserved in his life, right? He says, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. And then in one verse, he summarizes that, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. In other words, suffer and die. And that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. <clears throat> okay. So Paul is in his public ministry here speaking boldly concerning the resurrected Christ. This is his message to Jews, right? Gentiles too, but he says more to Gentiles, but he's saying this to Jews because the stumbling block for the Jew is what? Jesus, okay? Their Messiah. Would they receive him as such or not? And so Paul says here he didn't say anything other than things that the prophets and Moses did say should come. That means speaking to the Jews, he's focused in on their scripture. What does their scripture say? What did the prophets say about the coming Savior, the Messiah? What did Moses prophesy, right? Well, what did they say? that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So that's what Paul means here. He says, speaking to Jews, that's what I've been doing this all along. I go to the Jew first. I go into the synagogues. I'm very focused on that. And I've been obedient to the Lord in this respect. And so here I am speaking with you. This reminds me of um, <clears throat> what Christ himself said after his resurrection when he spoke to those two men who were on the road um, there um, on the road and uh, Christ uh, comes up behind them walking on the same road and he says to them when they have a chance to come off and, uh, and speak together, he says, oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. That means he can go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? Well, there's one verse that really stands out in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And there we read, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Raise up. Well, he raised him up, all right. Gloriously, he resurrected him from the dead, 
a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me unto him shall ye hearken interestingly in acts chapter 3 when peter offers the kingdom to those jews there assembled that day he quotes exactly the same scripture the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Peter quoted that, Acts chapter 3, verse 22, offering the kingdom to Israel. Stephen, just before he was martyred, Acts chapter 7, verse 37, quoted exactly the same scripture. And it was referred to many times in Exodus in other places, the same prophecy was given. And Paul, we saw in Acts, uh, referred to the same. Okay, so, of course, Christ himself did as well, and it recorded for us in Luke chapter 24, three different places. He refers to the same prophecy in Deuteronomy. Okay, so no Jew should have been ignorant about the prophecies that pointed forward to the coming Messiah and how he would suffer, die, and be raised. Okay. Okay. Now we have the great opportunity for time because the greatest scripture of all regarding the suffering of Christ uh, for the sake of the Jews is in Isaiah 53. So, <laughs> Tom, would you read for us, please? Isaiah 53. Verses 3 through 12. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of his... I'm sorry... We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he was made and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, 
and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Oh my, thank you, Tom. Boy, that really comforts our heart to read that, doesn't it? And I, you can imagine that if you were a Jew, an unsaved Jew, hearing these words, you might be brought to tears and salvation through faith in him, right? Uh, but only a few, it seems, responded in that way. So, Paul is back in chapter 26 again. He's he's sharing, you know, with the with the governor, with Festus. He's also sharing with uh, King Agrippa and Bernice, right, and others who were assembled there dutifully at the judgment seat. This was the judgment seat, right? Indeed, and uh, as it was in the Holy Land, at least. So constituted, right? I'm wondering whether, if whether at this point Paul just stopped talking because he was watching Festus. Festus is getting pretty worked up, it seems, because the first person to speak is Festus, who says with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Oh, that was not a very good response. Um <laughs> uh, and Paul's response is very reasonable and calm. He says, not like Festus in much uh, emotion, but he says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and of soberness. In the Greek language, there's an extremely great contrast between the Greek word translated mad, which means totally out of control and overcome by your passions so that you have no mental facility at all to restrain yourself. That's what mad means. In fact, uh, we have our, our word maniac taken directly from the Greek word. Maniac and maniacal means to totally lose control, right? As if you're controlled by a demon or something, right? That's what mad means. But the word, the last word there translated soberness means to be totally in self-control. Hmm. Uh, and the words of truth make the difference. Well, <laughs> Paul's response then after Agrippa says, he, Agrippa jumps in and he says, well, Paul, you're almost persuading me. And Paul says, not enough, not enough, Agrippa. Well, we'll leave the rest of this and go on to the last part here now. Uh, in Acts chapter 28 again now, we finally get to the point where after waiting there, um, they appoint a day for him. And uh, Patty, would you read for us there? Acts chapter 28. 
verses 23 through 29. Paul has finally reached Rome and has now an audience at the real judgment seat in Rome as a citizen of Rome, a full citizen. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed, after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto these people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Okay. Well, I think, you know, see, Paul's been exonerated. He's before the judgment seat, and he's been exonerated. No charge of death, and so he's released, and he's in his private house. And he calls the Jews... to meet with him and presents to them their Messiah, right? <laughs> and their response is, well, uh, maybe, okay, and there's a little bit of uh, confusion and dispute and so forth and so on. And uh, seems like they're about to depart, and so he speaks the final word. And what does he do? This would be absolutely shocking to a Jew. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. <laughs> he says, Concerning them that there was a great prophet, namely Isaiah, who spoke about how the Jews would be blinded and not receive the truth concerning their Messiah. And so those are the very words he quotes to them that day, right? And he uses language which is very, uh, what, very pointed, specific, intrusive, you might say, into the mind of those who heard it. You know, verse 10, make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So these Jews were unbelievers, and now they've had their last opportunity to believe. And what does Paul do but close the door on them? He closed the door of God on them. The time ran out. The time had expired. It's appointed unto a man, you know, a day. 
of salvation, right? He closed the door on them as the apostle of God, the apostle of the Gentiles, sent first to them, even to go to the furthest extremes of the kingdom, to speak to the Jews who were there, beginning, though, way back in the Holy Land in Jerusalem, but they would not receive their Messiah. And so finally he cuts them off. Maybe next time when we begin, I'll give you a few more words on this subject, because there are many times in the Jewish scriptures that this judgment is referred to. It's it's always uh, at hand, as it were, if, if they would continue on in their blindness and ignorance, they'd be cut off, right? Well, they finally were. But the language used in Deuteronomy and in the Psalms in particular, and you look at the notes, you see the references on that, are very, very powerful. These Jews surely knew what Paul was saying. They went off wondering, how could it be true that God would cut them off? And yet it was. Well, there are a couple of verses that end the, the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Next time, I'll share regarding the significance of Israel having been cut off and how that's ended the transition period once and for all. It's not the end of Paul's ministry, however. Notice he's been set free. And he will continue his ministry. Even more missionary journeys are yet to come. And Paul will write about them in other places in his prison letters, which we've recently looked at, where we see the full teaching regarding God's abundant grace given to Paul from the ascended, from the risen Christ himself, right? For us, written in Paul's letters, for us. So the Jews for the most part, rejected their Messiah. But Paul would go forth to the Gentiles and they would hear. Assemblies of believers are created all over the world at that time, wherever Paul goes. We don't have proof from Scripture that he made it to Spain, though he certainly thought he would. We don't have proof that he went into uh, the lands north of Greece, although there's some evidence of that. We don't have any proof that perhaps he made it to Great Britain, though church history records something about that. But we do know that he went boldly speaking to the Gentiles and that they did hear of the marvelous consequence of Christ's completed work on Calvary's cross 
consequence for us Gentiles, a heavenly inheritance and everything that that means for us. And that's what's recorded in Ephesians and in Philippians and in Colossians and in the letter to Philemon and in First and Second Timothy. Soon we'll be back to finish off Second Timothy to see how Paul's life ends. What a blessing, though, to see Paul's testimony concerning the risen, the risen Christ, right? <laughs> I read this again for you. Let it be known that the salvation of God has been sent. That's past tense. It has been sent now. In other words, Israel set aside. It has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. <laughs> when they said these things, the Jews went their way, having a great dispute amongst themselves. Well, the great controversy continues today, right? Not only amongst Jews, who still haven't believed on their risen Savior and Messiah, but by Gentiles confused still as to the magnificent abundance of God's grace towards all of us, fully accomplished through Christ's death, burial, and glorious resurrection. So praise God, praise God for his abundant grace. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us, for opening your scripture for us, Father, opening your word for us that we might take it to heart and understand it properly. And thank you for continuing to teach us. Every time we look at the scripture, we have revealed to us even more than we ever saw before. I feel like years ago, we, we knew hardly anything. And even then you had opened the scripture to us. But now even more. And as we dwell in these written words, uh, faithfully recorded by Luke and preserved by you, Father, we can understand the whole glorious sweep of grace from the Pentecostal period into the fullness of this dispensation of grace. Father, thank you so much uh, for understanding you continue to give us. May it enable us to be even bolder witnesses and to share your truth uh, with those that have not yet heard or that have heard but have not yet believed. So, Father, may we be uh, your servants. May we share the truth of grace with kindness and love and uh, see the fruit that you will provide. Yes, these may be the last days uh, in a calendar sense. We do not yet know, but we do desire your presence, Heavenly Father, and listen carefully for that call to glory. And we would thank you in Christ's name and amen and amen. <laughs>